0: So I'm going back to um, 1997 today where I've got like notes because um, my laptop stopped charging and so luckily I was able to press print where I had 6% battery left. So hopefully the, the projectors work next week, otherwise I'm going to overheads, which would be fun. And uh, who knows those days, the, the overhead projector days and oh, you put the book on top and you'd slide it down as the lines come off. Oh, take me back to a simpler place, dear Lord, I love it. Well good morning, it's great that you are, are here. We are in for a real treat this morning. We are going to continue our teaching series on the book Resilient by John Eldridge. If you've got that book wave it wave your hand around so I can see you are with me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, so we're going to jump into looking at chapter 4 this morning and before we do that, I want to just spend a little bit of time just doing a bit of a recap. If you're uh, here for the first time and haven't been a part of this series or you've missed a couple of weeks, allow me to indulge you in the the catch-up. Um, so the whole concept of this book really is for us to look at building resilience. And, um, and, and Vicky alluded to the fact this morning that one of the, the things that COVID has to answer for is these wicked, um, unsanitary, stale uh, pieces of communion that represent our dear Lord and Saviour in such a pathetic way. Um, but one of the other things that, that really comes out of COVID really is this, the lasting effect of what we've been through that we are yet to fully see unpacked through our emotional life um, and, and the, the, the hit we have taken to our innermost being when it comes to resilience and so this book really attempts to answer uh, a lot of that and give us some tools and strategies to, to build up our resilience as we move into the future because life is incredibly fast-paced. Uh, life has a, a incredibly uh, large amounts of complexities and problems and things like that. And so we need to learn to be resilient. So chapter one, um, was the, the title was I Just Want Life to Be Good Again. And uh, this, this unpacked this idea that burning out Quitting and, and making a mess of our lives happens when the reserves in our soul get depleted that we can operate at a certain level for a certain period of time where our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our capacity will keep us firing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. And, doing. and then what happens is we think we are operating within our skill set, but we don't realize that actually that we've entered the, the danger zone of using our reserves to keep our pace of life and our productivity at a certain level. And once those reserves get depleted, then bang, we get burnt out. We just give up on everything, we make a mess of our lives, make a silly decision that, that robs us of everything we valued, uh, simply because our souls become so uh, depleted, there's nothing left for us to draw upon um, that is super going to be super helpful helpful for us. But but the, the solution to that is that, that we have to come to God, that God has to be the source from which we uh, replenish our soul, that he is the river of life. And, and Jesus gives us this, this invitation to, um, if we are thirsty, come to him and drink. And he will not just give us a cup or a bottle of water, but he is the river of living water that will flow through us. He is more than sufficient, and, and, and he will give us a far above and beyond what we could have a hope, dream, or imagine. So we've got to drink from the river, which is God. The second thing was, where are we? What, are we, what What's happening? What's happening? And this chapter looked at how um, our brains experience mental fragmentation, um, which, if you're like me, it seems like a daily basis where um, you walk into a room and have no idea why you're there. Like right now, I'm like, why am I even here? This is crazy. I walked into this room going, what is going on here? Um, or you might be driving a car going, I'm going to go to the shops and um, you're halfway to the shops and realise I'm in the whole other direction. I've entered um, school drop-off mode, so I'm driving to my kid's school when I should be going to Woolworths. Um, that's mental fragmentation. Or you read a book and you just go, I have no idea what I just read. I just read 37 pages and I cannot tell you one theme or idea that I've just read because your brain is somewhere else. And, and this happens in, in an increasing scale because of things like trauma, pain, or sustained mental overstimulation uh, for an extended period of time. Our brains just shut down and, and glitch in certain things and, and and if you're like me maybe you've experienced that as well and it's so the one way we cope with this because while our brains are glitching the world is still operating really really fast there is still a world that they're vying for your attention every time you switch on your phone your tv open a newspaper life is crazy busy and so if we're experiencing mental fragmentation how do we then process uh the complexities of life in the midst of that and so this chapter unpacks the idea of of narratives, that one way we do that is we choose a lane to run in and, and then that helps us filter what life is all about. And so uh, it, it's almost that idea of we find a cause to fight for to help us make sense of this world. And so um, some people might take a political narrative that they line themselves up with and go, all right, so it's, everything's a political issue. The reason all this stuff's going on in the world is because we need to get this particular party or this particular person in power. Once they're there, then everything will change. It'll be fine. Or we might take a social justice narrative and go, well, the reason the world is like it is is because we've got to fight for minorities. For too long, there's been, you know, the, the white privilege or it's been this or it's been that, and so we jump on the social justice bandwagon. Justin, no, don't jump on that bandwagon. That is not a good bandwagon to jump on at all. Social justice um, bandwagons to help us filter and make sense of the world. And so we become advocates for all these causes and we fight for the minorities and that helps us um, make sense of our place in this world. Um, Financial, sexual, uh, that's probably a big thing at the moment, is choosing a sexual narrative. Who am I? Who do I identify as? Who do I love? Um, and, And what is love? And all this sort of stuff is is a narrative that, that people buy into to help them process what is uh, the, the mental fragmentation of their life because of, essentially, the, 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 the trauma we've been through collectively across this planet. But but as Christians, <clears throat> we're called to choose God's narrative to help us make sense of this world and this life. And, 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 and we've got to figure out what is God's story because... God's story has always been, is currently, and will forever be the story of humanity. That he has a plan and purpose for humans. He created us, he designed us, he sees the beginning from the end. He who um, began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And so empires will rise and fall, but the kingdom will not. It will last forevermore. And so these empires of narratives, of social justice, of politics, of sexuality, of whatever it is that we, we jump on the bandwagon for, they will rise and they will fall. But the narrative of God and his plan for humanity will always be. And so as Christians, we have to tap into that and let that be the main story that we uh, filter our life through. And so the challenge for, from this chapter is, well, what, what are the loudest, most influential voices in your world? Because the loudest, most influential voices in your world will determine your narrative. So if you, if you scroll an hour, two hours a day, just going through TikToks, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else is popular at the moment. But you're only like flicking through the Bible for five minutes or five seconds a day. Well, you really are, are just by pure definition allowing the voices of this world. And, and not even that, it's, it's an artificial algorithm that is designed to capture your attention. You are handing yourself over to that to form the narrative of your life. Let me tell you this as your pastor, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. Get control of your life. Get in charge of your life. Don't let an artificial piece of intelligence that you scroll through every day determine what's going to capture your attention and affection. You're in charge of that. So let's put in our big boy pants and be adults and gain mastery over our own life and be disciples of Jesus. Now, I'm not ragging social media, although I have this love-hate relationship with it, but what I'm saying is, guys, let's, let's go higher. Let's, let's take a higher road. Let's, let's allow the narrative of God. If he has truly saved us from death to life, then we should live this life with our eyes f- firmly planted on him and him alone. And let his story be our narrative that we filter this world through. I got to be cranky, didn't I? <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, then chapter three. This is all just the summary. I haven't even got to chapter four yet. Chapter 3 is the strength that prevails. There are forces that are trying to convince us that the Christian life isn't worth it, that God isn't really helping, or worse still, these forces try to convince us that God isn't even real. He's just some flying spaghetti monster in the sky that we just decide to follow as some sort of myth. It's urging us to throw in the towel and to quit, just to give up. It's just too hard to go to church. It's so warm in bed. I could watch Benny Hinn on ABC, I, whatever it is. You know, I could go to the beach. I could do whatever. And so these forces are trying to detach us from connectedness to God and his people. We've got to understand that. That's the reality. To give us, throw in the towel, quit. This is how the system of the world is geared. But God is calling us to display strength. He's calling us to be strong. Like I said before, to, to be ridiculously in charge of our life, to gain mastery over our own self-discipline. And have strength inside of us that will help us fight and win and become overcomers. A strength that having done all to stand will continue to stand. This is the strength that prevails. Comfort culture has lulled us to sleep and has weakened our ability to be resilient. And that's what we're living. We're living in an age of comfort culture. I love this quote from this chapter. It says, When you grow up in a world where everything is done with a few clicks on your phone, it doesn't exactly develop resilience. I'm hungry. Get in the car, go to Woolworths, buy some fresh ingredients, come home, prepare those ingredients, cook that meal, enjoy that delicious meal. I would rather go on menu (laughs) log. And in 15 minutes... There it is. Enjoy your meal. I hope you enjoy KFC. It's wonderful, delightful. But that's... I, I do that from time to time, just, just so I'm completely transparent. Sometimes. But, but that's, that's the world we're living in. Don't, don't hunt and forage and create. Let somebody else do it. Outsource your life and your discipline to let somebody else. It's comfort culture doesn't breed resilience. Comfort culture creates convenience and selfishness, but the kingdom of God and indeed resilience is not built on convenience. It's built on sacrifice and obedience. Disappointment and hurt have also caused many to fall away, feeling like God didn't come through for them in the way they had hoped for or in the time frame they wanted or needed. But walking away from Jesus is like cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. It is not the answer. I have seen many, many people who absolutely love Jesus and have served faithfully in the house of God and through whatever reason, pick a thousand different reasons, have decided to walk away. Their lives are not better for it. But those that stick around, that push through the hard times, that push through the disappointment, they build resilience and they, having an altar stand, will continue to stand as resilient people where God's blessing and, and, and power flows in and through their lives. This, when we walk away, it, it forsakes the only hope we have for our heartache. Let me encourage you. If you're struggling, if you're thinking about quitting and just giving up on God, like it would be just easier to go out there, right? I have thought about this. Like, honestly, I'm like, you know, I could probably get out in the corporate world and, and you know, shake my leg out there and earn some good coin and, and, and create a good life for my family and have a nice big house and a nice car. I have to, we entertain those days. Most, most of them on Sunday afternoon. Like, give me an hour. I'll be having that chat with Hannah. Where's that seek.com? I want to get on that little look. But I choose, we choose to stay because we want to choose God's way, not just the easy way. We want to choose the fruitful way. The truly good news, though, with this about being strong and being resilient and having strength is that that we don't have to muster this up in our own strength. This isn't about willpower. This isn't about you just pulling up your socks and going, I'll just do better. No, no, no. See, this sort of strength is the kind of strength that God bestows upon us and he grants us by his grace. He will give us strength. If we decide to stand, he will give us the strength in our legs to do so. It's a partnership. We work together. It's not about willpower or human strength. It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be who he's called us to be. Uh, Isaiah 41:10 says fear not for I am with you don't be dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will hold you up with my righteous right hand When we feel weak and we do when we feel like we want to give up and we do choose God This is where the strength that prevails comes from This is the next step in becoming resilient So in the first 3 chapters um, as a little overview. Now we're going to jump into chapter 4. and I've got about you know, two hours to get through this, so it should be good. Um, isn't that the oldest, lamest joke for a pastor ever? But I still go there. It's such low-hanging fruit. But I'll take it because it's fruit. Um, chapter 4, Eden, glory, not desolation. So this this chapter opens with this um, familiar imagery that most of us would would have seen before, and it paints this picture of like a National Geographic documentary. And you can just imagine David Attenborough. I'm not going to do it because it will just make myself look silly. But but you see this herd, this vast number of animals that is just migrating across the plains. And there's hundreds of them. And it's like they just have this inbuilt design an instinct to move from one geographical location to hundreds of miles away to another to get food and to uh, to mate and to reproduce only to come back to that same spot again and they do it all without a GPS it's ridiculous but every year they just migrate and so so the picture is painted this 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 documentary these these animals this herd is moving and as the camera pans out you see a grander view and then back here far away from the herd are a couple of stragglers a couple of calves that are weak perhaps they're injured maybe they're sick but for whatever reason they are way disconnected from the herd camera pans out again and you see something you see the predators start to encircle could be the hyenas come in vultures start circling the wolves come in whatever it is and they pick off these young ones, they pick off these weak ones, they pick off these injured ones from the herd and devour them. And if you've seen these documentaries, it is brutal. There is no grace about it. It is just sheer violence in the animal kingdom. Um, I remember watching a documentary on, on hyenas in particular, and like at least a lion is dignified. A lion will hunt something down, kill it real quick, and then eat it. Hyenas will eat their prey while it's still alive. It's, they are just... despicable things. But this is the reality of the cruel, violent circle of life that we live in. And the parallel we see here is that if we wander too far from the shepherd, we will encounter imminent danger. Jesus is pretty blunt on this. He says, you know what? The enemy who roars around like a who like, roams around like a roaring lion, right? The forces of evil are out to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And that's, that's the thing we don't like to think about. Too. That's a bit of an icky thing. Oh, yucky, I don't talk about that. I want to talk about Jesus being my boyfriend and giving me all my, be, all my blessings and my best life. Like, that's what I want to talk about. But the reality is that we do have an enemy. There are forces of hell that are trying to derail you. And not just that, they're trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. So here's a sobering thought. What if, what if the camera of your life panned out and you could see the forces of hell circling around you? What if you could see the predators in a spiritual realm that are circling like hyenas or wolves or, or vultures just waiting for you to stumble that one more time to swoop in and to steal, kill and destroy from you? What, if you could, what would you do? If you could see that. Because most of the time we don't see that sort of stuff. We just go through life blissfully unaware. And and sometimes we don't even realize that we have drifted back from the pack or back from the shepherd. I guarantee you if, if we had that ability to see the predators around our life that are trying to steal, kill and destroy from us, we would lean so much closer into the shepherd. We would draw so much closer to Jesus than we would pull back. And that is the call in this chapter is to draw closer to God, not pull further away. It's in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him we will find resilience and strength. So in this chapter, the author John Eldridge introduces us to this idea of living the amphibious life, this um, ability to live in two different worlds, like a frog can live in water and on land. It's amphibious. We too live in a, in a physical world, but we also have access to a spiritual one, and we are called to thrive in both worlds. Um, in both spaces. In the natural world, we are saturated with beauty uh, that nourishes the human soul and, and our physical senses. And in the spiritual world, is saturated with supernatural grace and power that we have access to draw upon to help us in this physical, natural world. If you've ever encountered the love of God, if you've ever encountered the comfort from God, this was heaven and earth colliding. This is when two worlds, in worship this morning, if you felt like, man, I just feel God's love in this place, that is heaven coming to earth. That is, that is the physical and the supernatural world colliding in one space, and that's where we're called to dwell. Prayer, for example, is reaching from earth to heaven for what we need. Tragedy follows when we ignore one world in favor of the other. We cannot hope to find resilience while we ignore the provision God has made for us in the fullness of of the beauty of his kingdom. And problems arise when we fail to realize again that there are forces out there hell-bent on trying to wear us down, make us quit, make us give up on God. Life is exhausting. Just the wear and tear of simply being human is massive, especially in today's day and age. And it takes a, a significant toll on our robust yet equally fragile souls. And that's what we looked at in week one, that the, the human soul is this, this dichotomy where it is absolutely robust. It can handle so much. We can go through so much trial and trauma and, and tragedy, but at the same time, it only takes one thing to completely shatter our heart shatter our soul. So we are robust yet fragile all in one. So that's what we have to nurture and care for ourselves. So when life becomes exhausting, being a human becomes simply too much to bear this leads to feelings of dullness of heart a poverty of spirit a barrenness of soul disappointment starts to set in and soon to follow is disillusionment disappointment sets in when our hearts become numb and if we don't deal with that disillusionment follows and when you get to disillusionment that can be a very very difficult place to recover from spiritually At this point, hope or joy do not come easily. They seem so, so far away. Our faith in God feels flat, numb, or simply altogether gone. We begin to feel as though we just don't believe anymore. And I'm going to church because that's just what I should do, but I come and I just don't feel anything. And I try to pray at home, but I've given up on that because I just don't feel anything. I tried to read the Bible, but it's just so confusing, so I just don't want do that. And when we get to that point spiritually, we are, you know when your kids suddenly lose their teeth, and it's so wobbly, like it's there, it's in their mouth, but it's like with one thread. If I could just, like sometimes that's how we feel spiritually. We're just hanging on by one thread. Can I just tell you, like that's all God needs to, Like even that one thread is enough for God's power to flow through to keep you going. But when you disconnect altogether, when you just throw the baby out with the bathwater, when you say, look, it's all too much. I just can't handle it. My life would be easier if I was just somewhere else doing my own thing, building my own empire. Let Jesus get through even the one little teeny bit of thread that you're holding on to. Because we must remember that the battle is always over our heart. Over our affection, over our attention—that's where the battle rages. What's going to capture our heart? What's going to capture our affections? And that's why the Bible is pretty clear. Above all else, Proverbs four twenty-three. Above everything else. But what about my career? Above that. But what about my like um, ability to serve God? Above all else. What What about like um, my understanding of the Bible? Above all else. What about my? Above all of that, guard your heart. Guard, protect your heart. That's where the battle lies. The devil will try to discourage you. That leads to your disillusionment. But God wants to bless you. So guard your heart against the wiles of the enemy, against sin and temptation. And we choose to live a life of obedience and trust in God so that he can build us up on the inside. Because out of our heart flow the issues or the spring of life. So we've got to guard it. When you begin to feel flat or far from God, like you've dropped back from the pack and you're that weak calf and God, the shepherd and the flock and the herd feel distant from you and you start to feel the shadows of your predators circling around you. I want you to remember that God dwells in you and greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That is a fact, and it's funny because today's today's Pentecost Sunday, and so normally I would get up here and I would just speak in tongues for an hour, and you'd have to do your best to interpret. Um, as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, but I'm not doing that today. Um, but it's funny that this this chapter. In case you wonder, that was a joke. I, I would I don't do that. <laughs> that would just be weird. Um, yeah, no. Um, but Pentecost Sunday simply is is the 50 days since Easter. That's what it means. Pentecost is 50 and. And so when the disciples were in the upper room 50 days after the um, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit fell. And in that moment, that's, that, that was a game-changing moment for the church. That was a game-changing moment for human beings who found faith in God. Because no longer did, did the Old Testament sacrifices for the atonement of sin have to be outplayed, where you get an animal and you slit its throat and you throw its blood on the altar. And thankfully, that's all gone. What that means now is that, that God's spirit, God's presence is no longer contained to a temple that we all come to worship. That that temple is now you. That temple is now me. That, that we are now, those who have faith in God, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are God's dwelling place. So when you feel like you are in despair, when you feel like you're in disillusionment, when you feel like it's all just going to porridge around you, remember the very truth is that God is in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He might feel far, but he's not. He dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3.17, Do not you, don't you know that you are yourselves a God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. Ephesians 1.13, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So let me just say this as plainly as I can. I want this to sink in. Your heart, right now, your heart, your soul, your spirit, your your true self, your innermost being is a dwelling place for God Almighty. Think about that. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The God that created that beautiful sunset you looked at last night. The God that created those waves that roll in and you enjoy week in, week out. The the God that made the sun rise this morning and will do again tomorrow. The God who is in charge of orchestrating everything that ever was, is and will be. He lives in your heart. Like that, that... I want to labor on that on purpose because that is a game changer. When you actually get that from a, a theological concept to an actual reality, it is, it is game changing. It's like, you know, dumb analogy, but Space Jam, right? Where the, the aliens come and they, they steal the talent from the NBA players and they become awesome. That's sort of us. Like, The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That in and of ourselves, we're not that great. We're not that amazing. We're just flesh and bone and we'll live for a bunch of years and we'll die. But when we choose to have faith in God, He dwells in us and changes everything. It doesn't make life easier, but it makes life more purposeful. It gives us a hope, it gives us something to hold on to when life is really, really tough. It gives us a certainty that when all this is all this said and done, we've got somewhere to look forward to for all eternity in paradise and perfection. That, that the world around us might be desolate, but God's presence in us is calling us to an Eden, a place of perfection, where there's no weeping, no gnashing of teeth, where all things are made new again. Let that sink in. Don't, don't quit too early. Don't give up because life is hard on the outside. Lean into that still small voice on the inside that is drawing you closer to himself. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Bingo, bongo, bango. What? So get your confidence back. Stella, get your groove back. Let's, let's live with a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of mission, a greater sense of freedom. Let's let insecurity die. Let's let fear go away. Let's let disappointment be put where it should be. Let's not allow ourselves to get to a place of disillusionment. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, that God is in me. And if he is in me, then who can be against me? Greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. Why? Because he's God, for goodness sake. And when we get that revelation, that's the next step in becoming resilient. And what better day than Pentecost Sunday to remind ourselves of what Jesus has accomplished on that cross by making us now temples of his spirit, carriers of his presence, agents of his grace, mercy, and love, filled with his power. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the incredibly smart decision that we all made to be here in your house today, God. And Lord, I don't know everybody's story. I don't know the battles we're all facing, but I know we are facing battles. And some of us might feel like that that broken, lost calf that has been separated from the flock. And we might feel predators around us trying to steal, kill, and destroy from us. But Lord, I just pray that today, the reality and the truth that you dwell in us would rise to the surface. That would give us strength, the strength that would prevail, that would give us hope, that would give us resilience, God, that would give us confidence and give us peace. It would give us purpose and meaning give us a chance to be generous instead of being stingy because we realize that that life is not just for us it's for your glory and the good of others and that's the purpose we have when God dwells in us with his presence comes a mission and that mission is bigger than us the mission is others so Lord would you bless us today Bless our souls. Bless our hearts. Bless our minds. As we feel the the weight and the exhaustion of the craziness of life, Lord, I pray that you would really be the oasis for our soul. You would be that, that river of living water that we would drink from. I thank you, Lord, that you would just change us more and more to be in your image. As we are with you, we become more like you. In Jesus' name. If you've never made a decision to be a Christian, it's um It's pretty simple, but pretty huge. Um All it simply means to become a Christian or a follower of, of Jesus is not to, not to join a religious cult or become a weird sort of super spiritual person that, that dresses awkwardly and has awkward conversations with people with overly spiritual language that they probably don't understand themselves. What, what it means to be a, a Christian is to, to choose to walk away from your life of making th- th- everything about you and saying, Jesus, I thank you that you made your life all about me. I said, now I'm going to make my life all about you. I'm going to follow you. In Romans, it talks about if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. There's a a belief combined with the confession. It's not a 10-week course. It's not a, a change your behavior overnight. No, no, that comes with time when the Holy Spirit works in you. It starts with a belief that responds with a confession. God, I believe that you created this world. God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me because of your love for me. And I believe that he's been resurrected to new life so that your spirit can dwell in me and give me hope and life and power from this day forward till the day I meet you face to face in eternity. And that belief is responded by a confession. And then the journey begins.